And here we begin Zechariah chapter 3. Then He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand or a stick plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you. And I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him and the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in My ways and if you will keep My command, then you shall also judge My house and likewise have charge of My courts. I will give you places to walk among those who stand there. Here, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we gather this morning, speak to us by the power of Your Word that we may hear from You and rejoice in what You share. May our hearts be tuned unto You. Amen. May be seated. God is doing a good work here. A really good work here. The enemy knows it. The enemy has a special tactic that he's been using a long time to disrupt God's good work effectively. As a matter of fact, our courts system use it to discredit a witness. And I have to tell you in 1 Peter chapter 5 that he talks about what the enemy's trying to do. And he's really good at this. It says, be sober. He's talking to us. Be sober and be vigilant, or vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking someone he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. In other words, you're not alone in this, but he says here, be vigilant. And this morning, folks, I'm raising a call for us to be vigilant. 
Because the enemy is always lurking when God is doing a good work. He started something great here. As a matter of fact, I would call it a great work. And I think you could agree with me with that as well. And I I want to also tell you that the tactic that the enemy uses, our court systems use it also. It's what's used to discredit a witness by uh, the other opposing attorneys. It's what's in verse 1 in Zechariah chapter 3 where he says that Satan stood to oppose Joshua, representing, of course, Israel. And in verse 3, it says about that that he was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And this is what the accusation was about. Look, this is your nation and they're filthy. It's called, in, in courtrooms, calling a character or discrediting a person's character, calling their character into question. It's very effective. Because if you don't trust a person's character or moral or ethical background, why would you trust their testimony? As I said, it's very effective. And Satan wants to destroy the witness, the relationship, and trust that God has put within us by calling our character into question. Satan wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy. I don't care how it's disguised, how pretty it looks, sin steals, kills, and destroys. It steals joy. It kills trust and destroys character. God rebukes Satan in this and says, is this not, speaking of Israel or Joshua, a brand plucked out of the fire? And a burning stick, when it's plucked out of the fire and it cools down, doesn't look like a pretty stick anymore. If you're not sure, you've never been like me as a kid and played in fire, when you pull a stick out, it's black and sooty. It's not attractive. It doesn't look like a stick. It looks like something that needs to go back into the fire. That's what I used to do with them as a kid. I put them back in the fire. Burn them down. Get another one. Do the same. But this is what God tells Satan. Is this not that? A stick that's been pulled out of the fire. And if that fire has been in their life, wouldn't they look pretty rough? The enemy starts working on you. You don't look so handsome anymore. You start looking pretty ugly on the inside and possibly on the outside. And your world starts looking the same. We start making bad choices because the fire is what we're trying to protect ourselves from. And this is the situation that Satan is saying, look, this is a sooty stick. This stick is ugly. You can't use that stick. It's got bad character. (laughs) Got bad character. I didn't know a stick had character. But the rebuke is, this stick was plucked from the fire. And who? Who 
plucked the stick. I offer to you, it was God. That it was Jesus Christ Himself. Mm-hmm. Oh, you did, huh? Well, you must have made a mistake, God. This stick is worthless. It's dirty. <laughs> do you know what a spin doctor is? You know what they do? Anybody not familiar with that? They kind of change a story, whether it's in politics or anything else. They put a spin on it um, so it's not quite the same. Like, for an example, if an election happens and a guy... Um, well, here's a true story. I read in a paper in Colt when my dad used to preach in Illinois. They had an election. Small village, 250 people. And for the first time in their history, it was a tie. So they had to flip a coin. And, and I'm thinking, why don't they do a recount? But then the rest of the story comes out. How many people voted for each one was 11. 22 people voted. <laughs> so they did a flip of a coin. The 22 people, neither of them could make up their mind together. And they had 200 and some other folks in the village and they didn't, they didn't vote. So they're, getting a, so they're getting a coin flip on it. But isn't that kind of a funny turnout there? But listen to this. When, when you think about um, the spin, though, the village could say, it's historical how many people, you know, that we first time ever in tie. And they could be, but a spin could be like this. And hardly anybody voted. Yeah. And people trying to get people out to vote would say, if you'd have voted, you'd have been the deciding vote. You see how they spin that? Or they could say, but if I'd have voted, I wouldn't have made, we wouldn't have made history. <laughs> so there's always a spin on the story depending on what you're trying to convince people of. And in the spin begins with truth. But the rest is fabrication based on a desired outcome. And it's based on insecurity in people and distrust. Because they go, well, I don't know if I heard the full story or not. Once it's told, you don't know if you've heard the whole story. You know what I call those spin doctors? I have a different name and it's, it's not a bad word. I call them stuff doctors. Because they use stuff, made up stuff sometimes, exaggerated stuff or a different perspective that may or may not be true to change people's minds about things. So they use this kind of... I call it stuff. And I don't know if you know what I mean by stuff. So I'll give you some examples. Stuff could be a gossip, rumors, false plans, misinformation, uh, misdirected story, um, an unknown source. And un, what do you want to call it? Un, undisclosed, or one that it can't be released on condition of not anonymity, uh, protecting the person that shared it, type source. Spin folks will do that and they'll go, well, it was my kid. I don't want people to know my kid said that. You don't know who the source is, right? But it sounds official because it's an unknown source. Well, if my dog was whining at the doorbell and it, and it was somebody who was... Uh, calling on me, and I can say, well, an unknown source said I shouldn't get to the door because they were afraid. Well, my dog barks when he's afraid. 
<laughs> so, you know, this is the spin, okay? That's stuff. It makes something look real when it's not real. Or it makes what's real look way out of proportion. And I want to look today with you at four ways that this stuff that the enemy uses is often done. The first one, I'll share all four with you, is called blame the leader. The second one is called unrelated evidence. Or, since this, then that. The third one is discredit the source. And the fourth one is called call to question. Maybe you've heard of some of these, and we'll go through these, each one with a scriptural example and why it works. The first one is blame the leader. Oh, I'm not talking about myself, but if things were going well and things started to go wrong, you fire the manager on a baseball team. Even if the players don't play, you still fire the manager. You blame the leader. Well, you can't get rid of 25 guys. You've got to get rid of one, right? Shake things up. So you blame the leader. Well, in Exodus chapter 14, the story is this. The ten plagues have happened in Egypt, and Israel has left Egypt with the plunder of all their stuff. Egypt's property almost. Livestock, a lot of good stuff. And um, they are leaving and have been gone a few days, and they are now between two mountains and the Red Sea in front of them, and they have stopped. And about this time, Pharaoh has a change of heart and starts riding forward with his army and chariots and says, we were stupid to take our free slave labor and send them away. Let's go get them and bring them back. Plus, somewhere in the midst of that, they might have said, they got our stuff. We want that back too. And I imagine if Pharaoh had been successful, it would not have gone well for the Israelites. So we read in Exodus 14 the following. I have it on the screen for you. When Pharaoh drew near, listen to this blame the leader thing, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid Remember that, very afraid. And the children of Israel, first thing they did, they cried out to God. They didn't get an immediate answer. Pharaoh kept coming. So, they said to Moses, it's your fault. Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you done this to us? Why have you so dealt with us this way to bring us up out of Egypt? It's your fault we're in this predicament. We're following you. So blame the leader. The Israelites obviously were very afraid. But they didn't say to Moses, we're afraid, what should we do? They said, grumble, grumble, grumble. Idiot, idiot, idiot. And I think there was talk. 
Oh, come on. You know there was talk with about a million people there and they're all scared. And one of them starts going, well, we could go back if this idiot hadn't brought us out of here. We can't trust him. This Moses guy. Who, why did we follow him in the first place? What's, what's wrong with us? He just came out here. Here it is. He just came out here. And now he's going to let us die. <laughs> Obviously, we're going to die. There's an army coming, and we're surrounded by mountains and sea. Next guy here is, yeah, yeah, Moses brought us out here to die intentionally. Um, he doesn't want us to serve the Egyptians. And you know, there's no grave sites for us. The Egypt would have given us there. We had to bury our dead wherever we can find them, you know. I think he did this. This was his plan. The next guy says, yeah, Moses brought us out here to die. This was his plan. You, you know, that's what they've been talking about. And all of a sudden, the story has completely changed, right? <laughs> Stuff! Stuff! That's what I call that. They spun it already. By the time it gets to Moses, it isn't, we're afraid, help us. It's, why'd you do this? <laughs> Stuff happens, right? So blame the leader. People grumble about bosses, superiors, even family. Kids complain about their parents, especially when they're teens. They don't have good parents. When they're in their 20s, they get smarter. Don't know how that works, but parents get twice as smart the older we get. But listen to this. Kids will tell other kids and their best friends, man, you don't understand my mom and dad, man. They don't care. They don't understand. And they'll talk like that um, about because their mom and dad are their superiors. And their kids get on the bandwagon and go, man, you must have horrible parents. And go, yeah, you just don't believe it. But let those other kids start bad-mouthing their parents. Changes again, doesn't it? It does change. Because they're just upset with the moment, not with their parents. They have to find blame for their problems because they don't want to take responsibility. Here's what they could have said as Israelites. We trust you. We're very afraid Call on God. You've heard from Him. We believe Him. What's next? Pharaoh's coming. We don't have much time. They could have said that. Urgent meeting minds. Didn't do that. Stuff. At work, we uh, when we want a day off and we, boss says no, we get mad at our boss. We want to raise and he says, what have you done to deserve it? We get mad at our boss. We don't say, well, I didn't do anything to deserve it. I just thought I've been here long enough. That's time served. <laughs> you know, we all grumble. Um, it doesn't matter. And every time we tell the story, it gets juicier and spun further from the truth to make it appeal to a bigger audience. After all, the first time you tell it, people liked it. Well, the second time you tell it, you got to add more to it because you know it's getting boring. And this is what it plays on. It's a distrust of authority figures. This is why we blame the leader because we don't, we're taught not to trust. Oh, come on. How many people hear cops are good and how many people hear cops are bad? Do you trust them or you don't trust them? The answer is yes. You do, but you don't. It depends on if they're behind you with the lights on. <laughs> or if you're doing something wrong. If you're not doing anything wrong, they're your best friend. If you're doing something wrong, they're your worst enemy. They're bad cops. You know, this is so funny. People will say, yeah, that cop busted me for... You know, I can't stand that cop. He busted me. Now, I did something wrong. 
And got caught. And got caught. Exactly. And got caught. I was I was busted by that bad cop. He should have not busted me. I was only doing what I wanted to do. See, blame the leader for distrust of authority. You can't trust authority. There's a lot of paranoia about that. Now, um, it is always good to question leadership, but in a respectful way. To assert or uh, discern if the leadership is healthy through dialogue and conversation. That's okay. But to just talk about it and spread unquiet and disrest or disquiet and unrest, that is called sin. In the 70s, I think it was, might have been the early 80s, Eric Byrne wrote a few books. One of them was, I'm okay, you're okay. He wrote another bestseller that didn't sell as many as that one. I don't think any other book could. But it was called, The Games People Play. There's a lot of different games that people play, but the one that's in Acts chapter 21 is called Uproar. This is the one called Unrelated Evidence. Now, this is an interesting story. It says, this is about Paul and uh, his traveling companion. And he had some other folks with him. And listen to how this story plays out on the screen. It says, now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him being Paul, in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out. And this is what their accusation of Paul was. Men of Israel, you Jews, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people. He's going against the law in this place. Now this place happens to be where the goddess Diana has a temple. And furthermore, he said, they say, he also, this is the accusations, he also brought Greeks. into the temple and have defiled this holy place. And we're talking about the Jewish temple, not the Diana temple. They built that one. And then here's the parentheses around the next verse. It says, For these fellows had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with Paul in the city, who they thought or supposed, assumed, figured, reasoned, that Paul had brought him into the temple, but Paul had not. So they're mad at Paul for taking this guy into the temple when Paul did not. And that's what they're telling him. He took this guy into the temple and that's against Jewish law. It's against all the things we believe in. This is blasphemy. But what they're really mad about is the stuff they just said before that. Hey, you know, he's trying to change everybody, trying to disrupt the apple cart. And so, <laughs> next verse. All the city was disturbed. They stirred everybody up with their spin on the truth. And the people ran together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. And this is what happened. As they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. 
if you can despite the crowd against somebody, that somebody can't be the crowd. One against the many is hard to uh, combat. And a lot of us have been victims of stuff where it feels like everybody is against us or talking about us or saying things. And this stuff is unrelated to what they're saying. Now, it's kind of like, and if this is true, then that must be true. But there's a different story here. Because they don't say, if this is true, that Paul took this guy in there, then this must be true. They're saying, since Mm -hmm. he took him in there. That he has bad motive and he's trying to destroy things. This is proof already because he's blasphemed and look at these other things because of what he did here. But it's based on a lie. It's based on false truth. Something that did not happen. And so they're calling Paul into question on unrelated evidence to the reason they don't like him. What they are upset about never happened But what they're trying to get them to do is to stop Paul from talking about Jesus. That's what they're trying to do. It plays on when people use unrelated evidence like that to convince you of something. It's the feelings of being unsafe. Now, how do I mean by that? Because they see Paul as this tyrant. He's trying to ruin everything. He's trying to change our ways of life here. He's trying to mess up Diana. Now, now listen to this. These are the Jews. <laughs> okay. He's trying to mess up because in, in the verses around this, it says the silversmiths are afraid they're going to lose their idol business. We don't want to lose our profit here. Don't mess with our money maker. We're going to spend something on you and you're going to be cast out by the city. And it has nothing to do with anybody in the temple Anything about upsetting the apple cart. Anything like that. Paul is there talking about Jesus. And Diana, he says, isn't necessary. This is what the problem is. But they don't talk about that. No. They talk about something that didn't happen. Which is why it's called unrelated evidence. For example, and I'm not giving you pointers on how to ruin people's lives... But if you wanted someone's character card into question, you can make up anything you wanted. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to look at that person in light of that information as if everything they do is true compared to that. For example, suppose, and I'm not saying anyone in here has this problem, but suppose there's a rumor circulates that um, somebody in here is um, a heavy drinker. Okay? And they drink all the time, they can't be driving drunk, and they just haven't got caught. And then the next time you see that person, you're driving, and, and maybe they're texting or they're looking out the window and they weave a little too close to the center line, and you go, proof right there. So you're looking for evidence to back up the lie. But if the lie is believed as possibly true, now all of a sudden everything else about that looks the same. This is why since this, then that works so well. Nothing's true, but because you might believe it's true, you're now looking for reasons to believe that it is true, even if it's a lie. It happens. It happens a lot of times with character and things like that. 
And again, it comes from those feelings of being unsafe around people. The third one, discredit the source. This is probably one of my favorite ones that we'll talk about this morning is because this one's about Jesus. Jesus has been doing great work, ministry, healing, um, raising uh, Lazarus, uh, teaching the Gospel, thousands of people healed and hearing the good news. Feeding thousands. And He comes home to His own country in Matthew 13 and this is what happens. I love this. This is great. It says when He came to His own country, He taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom, which is something they didn't know he could do, and these mighty works? Now, hold it right there before we go to the next verse. It says, where did he get these miracles from? How's he doing these? You hear the question, first of all? We always try to explain the unexplainable. When I was a kid and I watched a magician, I looked to see how he did the trick. Because I know there's no such thing as true magic. See, I know this because I've never seen it. So, when you, we see a miracle happen, we question if it's real. Because, you know, let's find another explanation for it. People try to explain away the crossing of the Red Sea all the time. They try to explain away the resurrection of Jesus Christ and discredit salvation. They try all sorts of things to discredit the miracles of God. And here are people with Jesus' own hometown folks saying, uh, how did he get so smart? We know him. He's not educated. And how is he doing miracles? Oh, we're not sure. So they do the discredit the source thing. And here's what it says. Isn't he the carpenter's son? He's just a carpenter's son. Carpenter's sons don't do miracles. Is not his mother called Mary? We know Mary. She's not a miracle worker. You know, she's not smart, you know. And his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, don't we know these guys? <laughs> and his sisters, <laughs> are they not all here too? We know his family. So where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended. They were offended. And they wouldn't believe the miracles were from God. Because it was Jesus, the guy they know, the family of, who did them. Here's what we say. An apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I don't know about you, but an apple may fall far from the tree and roll. <laughs> Someone might pick that apple up and take it to a grocery store. Someone might take that apple home and eat it. A deer might come and eat the apple. It's going to be far from the tree by the time that apple's done. Yeah. Apples were not intended to grow under an apple tree or they would have little seeds fall out of an apple tree to grow apple trees under apple trees. But apples don't grow under apple trees because the tree there needs the nutrition so it puts it in a nice tasty vessel like Eve White and takes it away from the tree. Deer eat that stuff and later when it's refuse at the end of the deer it becomes seed. Fertilized seed. 
And a new apple tree does not grow near the tree, does it? We forget that. But we say, an apple doesn't fall far from the tree, just like an old man. Just like a mama. We say that all the time. But we're doing that to discredit their witness. To discredit the source. It is to discredit their witness. And it comes from this. The doubt of the supernatural. It has nothing to do with a person's character. Nothing whatsoever. God's work in you has nothing to do with whether you're good or bad. It has to do with God. And people try to discredit you so they don't have to believe in God. And that person, you know, I know they're doing miracles over there, but you know, I heard them lie one time. <laughs> I'll bet he slapped his mother, you kids. I can't trust him with God's Word. I've heard this stuff. It's ridiculous. But you discredit the source, and it comes, like I said, from doubting supernatural. And a fourth one, the last one, is called to question. It's, it's a technical term, but it comes out of Acts chapter 11. Um, this is after Peter has seen Cornelius. And Cornelius is a Gentile, a non-Jew, who received the Holy Spirit and was baptized, he and his whole family, and saved. He was uncircumcised. And Peter stayed with him. Three days. That means Peter had dinner with a Gentile. Uh oh. Word gets back. Here it is, Acts 11. The apostles and brethren who were in Judea had heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God, of God, which is supposed to be a good thing. And Peter came up to Jerusalem. Those of the circumcision, the Jews, contended were upset, had stuff on Peter. What was it? Saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. <laughs> you ate unkosher food. You ate unblessed by rabbi stuff. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. That's a call to question. You can't do this. You must answer the question. Or you can't be our leader. The call to question simply means that you question a person's action or integrity before you will follow, lead, or trust them ever again. And you're kind of thinking about maybe impeaching them. I mean, resigning them. Or... No longer having to be your leader. You might say, wait a minute. That sounds like politics. Did I not say Satan is good at this? So Peter saw this contention as it was. That these ignorant men, not stupid, ignorant means they don't know that God has poured out His Spirit on the Gentiles. So he didn't look at it as contention. He looked at it as ignorance. And what he does with this is what we should do with it. 
And he tells the story in verses 7, first of all, about Cornelius. And he said, the Holy Spirit fell on them. They talked in tongues. They got baptized. They are believers. And in verse 17, he says this, after he says that, if God gave them the same gift, if God did, as He gave us, when we believed on Jesus, who was I that I could withstand God? Am I going to tell God, no, you can't have Gentiles, and no, I can't eat with them when you just told me I'm one with them? Verse 18. When they heard these things, they became silent. Accusation done. The truth. The rest of the story came out. And they glorified God saying, then God, not Peter, hear that, then God has granted the Gentiles repentance to life. And that's good news for you and me. Because that's us. God has granted that. The call to question, He answered it. But the call to question is based on the fear of losing the status quo. That the apple cart is going to be upset and life is going to be different and wrong, and it's just not going to make any sense. You can't change things. You can't do this by yourself. Who says you can do this? Under what authority do you do these things? This is what the call to question is saying. You see, Peter, when he talked, said, I previously held the same opinion as you. This is why I know you are ignorant about this. You see, the Gentiles got the Gospel. But their problem was He was eating. Mm -hmm. They were happy they got the Gospel, but He was eating with them. (laughs) Doesn't make any sense. And so Peter had to give them the rest of the story. If a question of integrity is unanswered, this is why I call the question works. A person looks guilty. Where were you when that happened? If they remain silent, guilt is assumed, even though it's never stated. It's implied by silence. Because a person can now say, since they won't tell us, they're hiding something. What are you hiding? You're acting guilty. (laughs) Stuff. Now they can spin it. Yep. Spin doctors don't work well with the truth. They have to change it. Stuff quiets down when it's brought out into the open to expose what's true and not true. I've got to tell you the good news about all this. Remember we started in Zechariah with the accusation of Satan against Israel. By the way, you can put yourself into that equation that Satan is accusing God to you, about you bringing accusations, railing them against you. And and He's using all this, including your character. But i got to tell you something. People today do it all the time. They question people's character, nature, and motives. It doesn't work with God. You know why? God didn't call us based on our character. We were pulled out of the fire by grace. And we're a dirty mess. We all have bad character. We're all sinners. 
Nobody has a good character. Um, I don't want you to sit there and think, oh, I'm a pretty good person, preacher. You know, I, I wouldn't hurt anybody. You are not a good person. I am not a good person. The one next to you is not a good person. And I'm not spreading rumors on the person next to you. I'm saying all have sinned, including you. This is not a news story. It's not a news flash to tell everybody, hey, this is their sin. Let's talk about it. We're all sinners in need of grace. It's not a reason to create stuff. It's a call to remember we belong to the truth. Character is never the issue. Grace is. In Zechariah, the way that passage ends, when the accusation has been railed against us, what God says to Satan and the courts are amazing. He says, I'm bringing forth My servant, the branch, which is Jesus. And I will remove the iniquity of that land being Israel, being you. I will remove your iniquity, your dirty character, in one day. In one moment of one day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everybody that day when all our iniquity is wiped away, that we'll all be family again. That we'll all see we need grace. We all need mercy and peace. We all have been spun and spun others. And we know that it doesn't work against God's people. Because God doesn't call us based on our character. He bases it on His call of you and me. It's His call, not based on us. He didn't say, you got good character. I want you. He says, I want you. Come to Me and I will create character. I will clean you up. I will wash away your iniquity and I will make you whiter than snow. You cannot do it. And yet we expect others to shape up. But we can't. they can't. God does the work. And any time you hear about someone filled with stuff, struggling, know that the spin doctor is at work and his name's Satan. You can call a person's name, but it's Satan. There ain't nobody but Satan stirring this up when it happens. <coughs> and I have a couple things you can do when this stuff starts happening. The first one is if you hear someone start to spin stuff on somebody, first thing you say, wow! Sounds like it that you're raising up a prayer request. That one of our forever family is having a problem. Or they're not acting godly. Let's pray right now. Let's join hands right now and pray. Anybody who gossips or rumors to you is going to rumor about you. But if you start doing that, they're not going to come to you unless they got a prayer request. <laughs> but they certainly won't rumor anymore. <laughs> Second thing you do, uh, if you don't like that, say, wow, that's interesting. Sounds like some Jesus needs sprinkled in this place. Let's call the Holy Spirit down right now so that we stop the mess right now. Amen. It stops here. And Jesus can bless that person and bless us because we're faithful. And you know what? People look at you and go, 
No, you're supposed to get all excited and want to know more of the story. And I got more to make up to tell you. <laughs> and, and, and not only that, I got more to tell than other people. You'll just listen. And, 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 and you know what? I got to the about you. Guess what they're saying about you? <laughs> and guess what I've been saying about you? <laughs> oh, nothing. <laughs> nothing at all about you. You're my friend. <laughs> Isn't that how it works? Yep. Sure it is. We all get caught up in stuff. That's why people watch soap operas and don't stop. <laughs> stuff. They leave you cliffhanging. But the worst part about it is, is people telling you stuff they don't need you cliffhanging. They go ahead and put you over the cliff. Yeah, exactly. They put you over the cliff and somebody else under the bus, but do you notice? Do you notice? They never implicate themselves. A person who tells the truth always wants you to know their part. And their part would be, I'm coming to tell you so we can pray about it. I'm coming to tell you so we can get this healed and out in the open and be done with it so there's no false ideas or lies or spins out there. No stuff happening. Just truth. It happens in churches. It does. We're really out of time, but i got a funny story if you want to hear it. All right, it's a true story. Happened at the church I was preaching at. Uh, I live in Illinois, pastor in Southern Illinois. My wife and I went to see a movie seminar. Saw some friends there, and those friends uh, lived next door to us. They were uh, the grandchildren of some folks go to church where uh, I was pastoring, and their parents go there. By the time we got back to town, this this story is this, this ridiculous. It's great. They said to somebody, they saw us at the movies. What they said. It's all they said. But they said it to the wrong person. They said it to a person who couldn't hear very well. And the person who heard it said, the pastor's wife are making movies. No, no, this was many years ago, 25 years ago. Next wife, yes. And and by the time I got to the next person, and we got back to town, which was 30 minutes or so from Paducah to where I was living, we got to the store, and the guy who heard it third hand or fourth hand said, I just heard the craziest thing. And I said, Who'd you hear from? He said, Doris. I said, Doris? I ain't seen Doris tonight. Well, what'd you hear? Well, she's been telling everybody, you guys are using the parson to shoot porn. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what 